Welcome back to the End of History Podcast. I'm J.B. Shreve, and we are going to be looking today at the events unfolding in Haiti, the chaos, the crisis that continues to unfold there, looking at what's going on now at, as well as kind of how we got here. Now, in the course of this episode, we're going to reference several uh, important historical events, several links, several articles. I'm going to try to get all of those posted in the show notes to this podcast episode. You can find that at theendofhistory.net. And of course... Be sure to check out the other things we have available. This week, we'll be coming out with a new podcast episode in our History of Africa podcast series that should be releasing tomorrow. This is the end of history. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. We believe that these an axis of evil arming to threaten the peace of the world. One year after the assassination of Haiti's president, the country's political and economic systems are in a state of freefall. The most recent evidence of this is a surge of gang violence in some of the major cities where two rival gangs are making life more and more dangerous for the public at large. The UN reported 99 people were killed in gang violence there last week. This weekend, the Washington Post reported 315 children and adults took shelter in a local school simply to escape the violence. So joining us to discuss the events taking place right now in Haiti and how we got here, my guest today is James North. He's an independent journalist who's been covering the global South for the last 47 years with frequent contributions on the happenings in Haiti. So can you start, or can we start, can you explain what's going on with the recent reports of gang warfare in Haiti? The the depictions in places like the Washington Post this weekend, it's almost like a warlord state. And I was curious your thoughts, your perspectives on what's taking place there. Well, that's a very good question. Um, there's nothing new about gang violence in Haiti over the, you know, it's been uh, getting worse over the past two, three, four years or so. It's mostly uh, concentrated in Port-au-Prince, the capital, although there's mm -hmm. been some gang activity out in, uh, in the second city, Cap, Cap Haitian. But, uh, you know, I think, what is it, 30, 40 percent of Haitians now live in the capital, so they're affected terribly by it. Uh, right. It's gotten worse and worse. Uh, earlier, the, earlier this very month, there was a report, the UN uh, Commission for, High Commission for Refugees reported that uh, three or 400 people in a poor neighborhood in uh, in Port-au-Prince were killed fighting between two gangs. I would say that, um, you know, well, two points I would make. First of all, the gangs fight each other. And uh, you could almost say that it's like being uh, under an occupying army, but it's mm -hmm. not even an occupying army where one single army controls the entire city. It's like clashing armies. It's, it's just awful. Uh, I'm in regular uh, telephone contact with Haiti. I have close friends there and they don't know, they don't dare go out at night, even though their particular neighborhood is not um, is not the most effective. Uh, you know, gangs that uh, the, the road that leads to the southwest uh, uh, part of the country has been cut by gangs. And so there's been a shortage of supplies in a whole region of the country. Now, the, the, the another highway that leads up to the northeast is also being cut sporadically. So it's it's really a terrible crisis situation and it's getting worse. Right. Uh, there's been little coverage in the U.S. press, although that's starting to get a little better. But the point I would like to make is that um, Haitians believe 
that the U.S. foreign policy, our, our U.S. government is partly complicit, not directly in the gang violence, of course, but in the uh, instability, the corruption and the illegitimate government that that's, uh, claims to be ruling the country, which is part of the reason why the gangs are so strong. And the point I've been making in my own reports, uh, I've done a half dozen or so in the Washington Monthly. I also am on Twitter, as, as you know. And the point I've been making is that uh, the U.S. government really needs to change its policy toward Haiti. Uh, what's more, a, uh, a former U.S. ambassador, one Daniel Foote, Dan Foote, he resigned uh, last September in protest. He was our ambassador, basically, to Haiti. He served for a couple of months. He had a long 25-plus year career in the U.S. Foreign Service, and he objected very strongly to U.S. policy, tried to change it with, from within, and then resigned in protest. And this is this is very unusual in the U.S. Foreign Service, right. especially somebody who had been in you know been in had such a long and successful career previously, been ambassador to Zambia and Southern Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he resigned. But not only did he resign, but he he issued a blistering statement uh, criticizing U.S. policy and saying that it was partly to blame for for the for the ongoing crisis. And this is an angle of the story that's really been very under or unreported. You could walk through any talk to anybody in Port-au-Prince today and ask them about this. And they'll say, yeah, we, we partly blame the U.S. and not just the U.S., but Canada and the other well-off countries that uh that you know are propping up the current government. So it's it sounds very complicated, but it's really quite an awful situation. And right. and one foreign service uh, who had reached the highest level was willing to sacrifice his career to make that point. Right, and so that would have been right after, or not too long after the assassination last last summer. It exactly. Seems like yes. Every couple, year. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. A couple of months afterwards. You're right. Yeah, it seems like every year, or not maybe not even that frequent, but there's occasionally some big news, be it an earthquake or the scandal with the, the UN relief forces or, or something that takes place, Haiti's in the headlines for a week or so, and then it fades to black and no one's paying a lot of attention. But there's, it doesn't make sense for a country four and a half hours flight from U.S. borders to be, to be in this state. What, what got Haiti here? How did they get here? Well, there's a very long answer to that, which, uh, you know, but, but, but basically the fact is that it's been interfered, Haiti has been interfered with by the U.S. and other powers, really almost since it's won its independence back in the uh, early 1800s. Mm -hmm. I mean, the New York Times, to its credit, a month or two ago, did an excellent historical series that pointed out how the Haitian, Haitians are the only enslaved people in the history of the world who won their independence through fighting. Uh, that happened in the 1790s and early 1800s. But they still were under threat that the French or others would try and uh, invade and reimpose uh, the slave system. The slave system, I should just add parenthetically, it's hard to believe that it could be even worse than the system that we had here in the United States. But it was basically a series of death camps. What happened was Africans were kidnapped, shipped to Haiti, forced to work in uh, sugar fields. Sugar was an extremely lucrative uh, product back in those days. And they were worked to death. And then more people were brought over and it continued to work like that. The, the, the population by itself would have died out in these, in these death camps. So Haitians rose against this. I mean, people like Toussaint Louverture, who's quite famous, uh, and they won their independence. And then the French threatened to come back in the 1810s, 1820s, 
And so as the price of staying independent, Haitians were forced to pay indemnities, fines, uh, you know, a, a huge amount of money, which basically gave the country a difficult, uh, a difficult start, even basically though it crippled was technically them. independence. Yes. Right. Now, since then, you know, in the 1910, I guess 1915, I may have my, my dates a little off, but the U.S. Marine Corps intervened, U.S. intervened, um, claiming that there was, uh, Haiti hadn't paid its debts to American banks. When mm-hmm. I say Haiti, I mean, <laughs> A small group of people in the capital at the time. I don't mean your average, you know, another problem. Let me just, I mean, there's so much here to go through, and I appreciate you're giving me the opportunity to talk about it. But another problem is that when Haiti was declared, did become independent and did pay that indemnity, the government to the to the French, basically, uh, the standard history sometimes uh, suggests that the country was a basket case from the beginning, that there was no success at all. Yeah, That's yeah. completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Most Haitians until fairly recently lived in the rural areas. And once they won their independence in 1804, they were able to stop cultivating sugarcane for export. And they went back to uh, b- uh, growing crops for themselves and their families just as their ancestors had in Africa. And so if you were, let's go to say the year 1880, if you were a typical Haitian in 1880, you were living, you know, you weren't wealthy, but you were living on a small plot of land in rural Haiti. You were carrying on the traditions and religion and the background of 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 your ancestors, and you were leading a comfortable life. If you lived in Cuba at that same time, you were probably still living under a slave system in which you were being exploited and dying. So basically, Haiti was a success. Then starting again in 1915, the U.S. invaded. It imposed uh, outside governments. Then there were a series of dictatorships. And basically, uh, you know, every time that the Haitians have tried to get their country back on its feet, outside interference has, has, has gotten in the way. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that that certain well-off Haitians are not to blame also for the situation their sure. countries. And Haitians will tell you that right away. But, but basically at the moment, you know, I, I, let's back up again for two or three years. The government, the, the previous government, which was elected in a, in a very, sus, under a suspicious election, but the previous government, which was elected in 2010, 2011, um, basically it was, there was a tremendous amount of corruption going on. And starting in about 2017, 2018, Haitians uh, started to to have a mass movement to try and demand an end to the corruption and to demand an an accounting. I mean, billions of dollars went missing. It wasn't primarily American money. Uh, The the Venezuelan government of Hugo Chavez basically gave Haiti and other countries in the region oil on very, uh, very good terms. And they were supposed to use the oil and the money that they had saved, they were supposed to use to build schools and to build roads and to improve the country. Instead, leading politicians and leading the very small Haitian elite stole a lot of this money. Haitians made a pro-anti-corruption, pro-democracy movement. And unfortunately, they were inspiring. Thousands and thousands of people would turn out into the streets. But with the exception, the honorable exception of the Miami Herald, there was no American press was covering this. I mean, Haitians wonder, they know that when the earthquake hit in 2010, that there was an army of U.S. press who went down there, TV, you know, all the networks went there, including the anchor people. Okay, fine, that's good. Uh, But then when they start to have a pro-democracy mass movement, if you had seen the same type of mass movement in an Eastern European country, there would have been massive coverage of it. Haitians got ignored. Right. And that partly explains my own interest. You know, I've started going there in the middle 90s. 
I visit often, although not lately because it's too dangerous, too dangerous for anyone. Uh, but, you know, I part because here, here are this, here's the incredible people with an incredible story and incredible history, and it's not being told to, to Americans for the most part. I would also add that um, after the earthquake in 2010, there was extraordinary generosity by the American people. I mean, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but, you know, you'll recall many of us were donating at the time. And I mean, I mean, it was something like an extraordinary per household in the United States. People made great donations. The Haitians understand this and appreciate it. Uh But what then happened was the original aid right after the earthquake, you know, both uh, medical and whatever that, you know, that that was extremely helpful and valuable. But then when it came to try and rebuild the country, uh, that's when the whole system collapsed. And there's a long explanation for that. But you may recall that Bill Clinton, who was now out of power, former President Clinton, he was in charge of the global effort to, um, to rebuild. It was called Build Back Better. And, and, and the, and, and it was so bungled and so botched that, uh, you know, you can go to Port-au-Prince today and you'll see a handful of new buildings, a couple of luxury hotels that were built. But basically, whatever rebuilding was, my, my good friends rebuilt their homes by themselves. They got no international aid for that. And as a result, Clinton, uh, who, uh, you know, was headed this international effort, one of my closest friends, I said, what would you and your neighbors do if you saw Bill Clinton try to, he, Clinton hasn't visited Haiti in many years. I said, what, what would you and your friends do if Bill Clinton were to try and come and give a speech here? And he'd say, we'd immediately go out and buy eggs to throw at him because that's how angry we are with him. Now, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just appalling. And again, but again, I, I, I want to hammer away at this point. Um, it's not being reported. Right. You know, I can I live in New York City as you know, I can jump on a plane and I can be at Port-au-Prince by this evening. OK, it's not far away. It's not the the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's not Angola. It's not Equatorial Guinea. It's not Burma. You know, it's it's very close along the East Coast here, as you probably know, we have plenty of people of Haitian descent. You know, if you if you go into any New York hospital, as I as I was recently for minor surgery, you know, you're going to see Haitian Americans there uh, working in various jobs there. So it's not like there's no connection between our two countries. And yet, you know, there's a news blackout uh, for the most part. Again, I'm not saying that they're never, you know, that nothing is ever covered, sure. but it's, it's insufficient. Really. Sure. It's truly insufficient. I have a question for you on sure. American policy. But before I go into that, I have a question about that right there, because it's it strikes me as a mystery why it's not covered more in U.S. media. Uh, and honestly, even and I know it's further away, but like the BBC, I don't see a lot about Haiti on the BBC, like Western media, mainstream media. I don't see a lot on this. And it seems to hit all of the buttons that would generate good coverage. Like, like there's from progressive to enlightened journalists. Why is Haiti not talked about more? Well, there are, it, I wouldn't blame the progressive journalists or, or you know, uh, we, we try and do something, but it's a good question. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words here. Right. I mean, I, I get on Twitter. I go directly at the, at the uh, New York Times and Washington Post reporters. I mean, politely, but firmly, when are you going to cover this? Why don't right. you know, why aren't you doing this? And there's nothing. And again, I wouldn't necessarily blame the individual reporters, but I mean, I subscribe to the Miami Herald. Uh, I don't visit Miami often. I mean, it's a fine paper, but 
I wouldn't otherwise, except they have a reporter called Jacqueline Charles, who's an American of Haitian descent, and she does a great job covering it. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I speak and read French, so I can get online and read the Haitian newspapers, most of which are also in French. So that's a big help, too. Sure. But, uh, but the point is, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted. It's, it's a great question, and I don't really have a good answer for it. Well, on American policy towards Haiti, that's also another mystery to me. When I look back, like the invasion in 1915, Right. I don't agree with it, but okay, I understand why it happened uh, as far as what their strategy was, what the what the political reasoning was. Later on, you've got the support of like, uh, they called them Papa Doc during yeah. the Cold War, things like that. Okay, there's the Cold War going on. We were supporting bad guys a lot in different parts of the world during that time. But when we get to the 1990s and you look at Aristide and, and you know, with Bill Clinton, with, uh, I, I believe Aristide accused Clinton. President Clinton of actually being involved in the coup that overthrew him and things like that. Since that time, I don't understand American policy. What is there any strategy or is it just apathy when it comes to Haiti and U.S. Well, I policy? think that's a very good question. Actually, uh, George H.W. Bush was president when R.S.D. was overthrown. Okay, okay. Uh, but uh, the point is that elements of the U.S. government, I, I, don't, I haven't seen any proof that showed that the pro approval for the coup Aristide won with 67% of the vote in the 1990 elections, mm -hmm. okay? And within a year, he was overthrown. I haven't seen any, uh, you know, anyone linking the top very high levels of U.S. government to the coup. However, you know, certainly there were links between the CIA and certain leading official, you know, leading coup makers and so on. That, 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 that's, on. That, you know, there's a, I could tell you a lot about that. But, but the point is, I think today, the main, and this is former Ambassador Foote would make this point as well. The main element of U.S. policy is to try and prevent Haitians from jumping into boats and trying to come to the United States as refugees or exile, whatever term you want to put. You know, that was, the, they, they, they are really concerned with stability. That's it. And only stability in the sense that it prevents, you know, more people from getting into leaky boats and trying to land in Florida and creates a public relations headache as they see it. However, their very policies, as Ambassador put, Foote has put it so eloquently, their very policies contribute to the instability, right. and more and more boats are coming over. I mean, for years, we didn't see that. People left Haiti, they got to South America, and now some of them are showing up at our southern border with Mexico. After, and I, I literally interviewed Haitians uh, two months ago in, in the border town of uh, McAllen, Texas. I interviewed a Haitian family you know, a six-year-old, a three-year-old mom and dad in their 30s who had literally walked from Chile where they were working for a few years all the way got, they got walked and taken, you know, local transport buses all the way up to the Mexican border. And they were trying to get into the U.S. to claim asylum. Okay. So the thing is, the, 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 the policy of so-called stability has failed. It's created instability, mm -hmm. which has created, you know, Haitians love their country. Haitians, even ones who live in the United States, they say that when they retire, they're going back to Haiti. They, they love it. They're as patriotic for their country as I am for my country, the United States. And so the idea that they would leave, uh, you know, you have to, there has to be tremendous duress. Sure. Uh, you know, 40% of Haitians today are actually hungry. I mean, you know, so in other words, you know, it's a long-winded answer to your excellent question. But what I would say is the U.S. State Department wants stability there and its very policies are doing everything they can to undermine stability. And so it, you're right. It makes absolutely no sense. 
So when bringing us to the present with the gang fighting and things like that, that are, that's going on, is that something that's happening in the absence of a stable state of a stable government, or is there more to that story? I think there's more to that story. That's part of it. But the, but the more to the story is that various political factions um, you, have you tried, have used and tried to use the gangs as ways to get political power. Okay. And they're battling among each other. And the, and the general view is that the killing of uh, President Jovenel Moise uh, just over a year ago, that, that was related to this power struggle among this small, you know, Haiti is a very poor country, but it has some very rich people at the top, like so many other countries do. That's not unusual. And so there's battling back and forth. And as a result, um, you know, one faction ordered its people to kill the president. Uh, you know, in fact, the current prime minister, who was basically installed mostly by the U.S. and by the U.N. and won no election ever, he's actually been linked. The New York Times did a good article that actually linked him to the uh, plot against the previous president who was killed. So, I mean, it, it, it's quite extraordinary. And again, this goes without any kind of scrutiny. So basically, the gangs are partly a political instrument. And Haitians tell me, I mean, the trouble is that the gangs are getting, you know, a, a great deal of modern weapons, you know, I mean, assault rifles, whatever, and the police are overmanned and outgunned. And, I, you know, it's a mystery. I just tweeted out today. I said, how is it that the U.S. Coast Guard can intercept, uh, you know, boats of uh, Haitian refugees who are trying to make it to the U.S., turn them around and drop them back into Haiti without giving them a chance to apply for asylum. At the same time, where's, where's the Coast Guard or other uh, international forces blocking ships that are going to Haiti carrying these modern weapons? Now, it, 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 it's, a, it's a difficult situation because these gangs, you know, as I've said, have gotten stronger and stronger. Okay. Haitians tell me that they think that uh, if the U.S. and the U.N. were to stop their support for this, basically, it's a puppet government mm -hmm. and were to basically make clear that, uh, you know, they favor a transition to a de democratic government. You know, you can't have elections overnight there because the security situation, especially in the capital, is so dangerous. But in a year or two, maybe you could. And that then the police could be able to start to restore order. They tell me that 60, 70, 80 percent of the police are honest and on the right side and they're just outgunned. And so that would be the way to try and restore order. But as long as the U.S. continues, the U.S. and the U.N. continue to endorse this unelected government. And, you know, what the U.S. wants to do now is basically push for elections, you know, and then wash its hands of the whole situation. But yeah. Haitians say you cannot have elections in a, in a, in a, in when there's, you know, such extraordinary civil disorder. I mean, basically, Port-au-Prince today is the equivalent of under occupation by an armed dangerous group of factions. Haitians, they tell me they don't, they don't go out at night. They don't go into the restaurants anymore. I mean, you know, most of them were so poor, they never went into restaurants, but they don't go into restaurants. Market women who sit by, they normally would sit by the, by the side of the road selling a pile of oranges all day. They, they're afraid to do that. And they certainly, as soon as night falls, everybody's inside, which didn't used to be true. So, I mean, it's really a very, but what they say they don't want, Haitians do not want is another intervention by the U.S. military <laughs> or, or anyone else's military. They don't want that. And the fact is, you know, as Ambassador Foote says, you know, it's time we paid attention to what they want. You know, right. we've been giving them what we want for years and look, look where it's look, look what's happened. Yeah. James North, 
Very informative, very helpful. I hope our listeners have learned something. If they want to learn more, if they want to see uh, more of what you're discussing, what you're writing about, where can they find you? Well, I, you know, as I said, I did a, I did a series of articles. Uh, the last one was back in February in the Washington Monthly Magazine, which is online, of course, as everything is now. You know, my Twitter account is James North Seven on Twitter, and I do have a lot to say about Haiti. You know, I have a lot of contacts there, and I try and. You know, what I basically try and do is I, I certainly don't tell them what to do. I mean, uh, you know, my country has been doing that for a long time to, to no avail, but I try and promote what they have to say. And I just implore, you know, the mainstream media uh, to to jump on an airplane and 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 spend, uh, you know, four hours getting there and try and cover some of this more. And there has been some coverage, you know, but basically, um, you know, it's 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 just appalling how little there's been. And I appreciate people like you who go out of your way to try and you know hear this side of the story. Very good. Thank you very much for joining us, um, listeners. We'll put links to all of that on the show notes for this podcast episode. In the meantime, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to the end of history with JB Shreve. Check out more episodes at iTunes and wherever you download quality podcasts. Join us online at theendofhistory.net for articles and essays from The End of History. Follow JB on Twitter at JB underscore Shreve. The End of History is produced by Windmill Media.